My mom always said, life was like a box of chocolates. Hey everyone. Hey. Welcome to the inaugural book club episode. Oh, it's a long time coming. We're talking books today. Well, one book. One book. Uncommon Two short type. stories. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're off to a good start. Uncommon type, written by Tom Hanks. You and I both learned how to read for this episode. Yes. Took a lot. That's why we're behind. It came out last year. <laughs> uh, I've been reading this one for a while. Yeah, I'm going to be up front. We were supposed to start this uh, a while ago, and I goofed, but now we're here. You're a busy guy. I was unemployed <laughs> oh, we'll for a that. month and a half. <laughs> so. so this book is available in hardback, as I think Tom Hanks would want you to read it. But then he also, he reads the audiobook. So I think I'm going to reread it after I read it in audiobook form so I can hear him read it to me. Oh, I'll just fall asleep every night. Though with some of the subject matter, it would be really interesting to hear it come out of his mouth. So let's get into it. The first short story in the book, Uncommon Type, by our beloved Tom Hanks, is Three Exhausting Weeks. And and to give you a visual, the the page next to Three Exhausting Weeks is a photo of a kind of old typewriter. It looks like it's been broken down a little bit. Mm -hmm. There's There's an undercurrent in all these short stories. That's kind of the gimmick, is that every short story mentions a typewriter. Yeah. So something that we'll be doing as we discuss each one is a fun little segment I've decided to name, Where's the Typewriter? Where's that dang typewriter? Though so far, I don't think they've either of them have felt forced. They're always in like settings where I'm like, that makes sense. And it looks like it was kind of hard for me to find it first. Did you find it? Um, if I'm being honest, no. Okay. Now I have. It's on page 28. And it's when he he is trying to distract himself. So he plays a game on his phone, like a true or false game. And I'll, I'll read the quote. True or false? President Woodrow Wilson used a typewriter in the White House. And the answer is True. He hunted and pecked a speech on a Hammond typomatic, hoping to drum up support for a World War One. I. I also think the the first short story is written as like diary entries. Yeah. So I like to imagine that maybe he typed these suckers up on a typewriter himself. So this first short story, Three Exhausting Weeks, is um, essentially a whirlwind romance. Yes, with a close friend. A close, yeah. They kind of they fall into this relationship. Yeah. It's sort of a can-this-work type of relationship that neither of them seem to think really can, but it's sort of a test. Worth giving it a shot. Yeah. So the main, uh, the the woman in this story, her name's Anna, and she's very, like, she's, like, type A, very, like, alpha as a, as a character. She decides everything. She's kind of, almost as if she's set out to kind of change our main character. Yeah, and I think that's s- sort of the point they want to bring up. Is this sort of, she is like this fireball of motivation. Like if something's going to get done, if she says something's going to get done, it's going to get done immediately. And our main character is sort of this like laid back, kind of just let things play out. And so her coming into his life, they're friends, but sort of as a relationship manner is sort of this, he allows this control where she kind of just dictates everything. And then he tries all these experiences that he would have never had on his own because he has no adventurous spirit to him. Mm-hmm. But it kind of breaks him down. Yeah. Because he's built this life for himself. He's very content. Yeah. 
He takes his time, he drinks his coffee in the morning, he eats food that's not the best for him, he watches trashy TV. Doesn't exercise. Yeah. But it's nice because it, it doesn't, the story doesn't, um, the story doesn't go against either character. Right. I feel like the end result is sort of that they both, they operate as friends, maybe not as as lovers, but the sort of, they kind of bring something unique to each other's life as friends and that doesn't really work in a relationship setting Mm -hmm. but it doesn't say that either of them are bad like she gets so much stuff done and has like a realm of friends and respect around that because of what she does and then he has this different lifestyle that people also like because you want to be around these different things so i was i was relieved that neither were dismissed as correct or incorrect yeah i appreciate that because i think i if i had to like lean more towards one character i would say i'm very much an Anna. And I think that about myself only because I might just be super bossy. Yeah, okay. And I think I think the motivation is that I don't like to wait on things. If I mm-hmm. want something to be done, I like to do it. It bothers me to not do things. But I guess, you know, in filmmaking, I write and direct. So I guess my ultimate career ambition is to tell people what to do. So that actually uh, okay. makes a lot of sense in my head now. Yeah. Strange to hear from Tom Hanks' mind just the ton of sex in this book. They go at it like... Wild yeah. rabbits. There's like a thing. She's like, I haven't, I haven't done it five times since college. Five, five days in a row since college. It's and like, it's Tom, you it's, devil. <laughs> it's almost like clinical. Yeah. Because there's not. He's not gratuitous. But it's also weirdly like it. It's not not romantic, but it's sort of played up as like this very college esque like young romance of like there is no there is no look to the future. This is purely physical. And to see how that plays out. And it almost seems like that's the one reason that he sticks around. Yeah. It's because the sex is so good in the beginning. I think he also seems curious by how people are reacting to him being with her. Like his neighbor who sees, he's like, what are you, like, this is crazy. And this sort of like almost this aura of like, he likes how he feels because of how she makes him look in a Mm -hmm. public setting. Less about how he feels inside, because inside he seems to be kind of against these things. He's doing it because he's... He feels like, he, it's almost like she's like his suffocating. mom. Yeah. Like she, he's like, if I don't do this, she's going to get mad. But then he doesn't really do anything specifically that rubs off on her, it seems like. No, she's too headstrong for yeah. that, I think. But it's like a truthful, especially this story specifically talks about modern gadgets uh-huh. and texting and sort of that ecosystem. It doesn't explicitly go into like modern dating, but it seems sort of about this idea that it seems to sort of make that statement about um, this lack of communication between them, even though they're together all the time. And sort of this idea that you get into a relationship to change people does not, will never, does not function because Mm -hmm. you're going to break someone down. And I like that it ends with them having that, their first real discussion besides kind of, are we together? And he's like, I don't know. And then at the end, they're like, no, we're not like, this isn't going to work. And you're like, okay, that is totally fair. And like makes complete sense to these characters. And you don't, dislike either of them for it you're like that is a mature thing to do well and it's why some people end up together and some people don't it's like why we all date yeah you haven't been on a like you probably been on dates with your wonderful beautiful girlfriend but (laughs) not like how i have to go on dates yeah and it kills me a little bit every time i do it daniel i literally started dating rachel as tinder and stuff came into the light so i've never used that platform i've jokingly taken friends phone and played wingman probably poorly but (laughs) that whole idea of like the the culture of dating now like i don't know yeah which is weird when i've seen my friends do it and they have mixed 
results and mixed yeah. responses to it. It's tough out there, man. Whatever. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm better off alone. <laughs> uh, especially because I, what I need is someone who would work well with an Anna type. Who, in your opinion, what type of personality? Because I think someone who's just Anna's equal in personality, they would just conflict. What do you kind of think needs for that personality type? Is there sort of a, a complementary? Well, I, I see two options. One tells me that she needs someone equally as headstrong as her because then she can't steamroll over yeah, him. Yeah, kind of a level-headed fight. Yeah, she needs or someone fight, to put her a... in her place and like show her, like, it's nice to be taken care of once in a while. Yeah. And it's nice to do things that other people enjoy, not just you. True. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> this like, book Mr. club's going to be just like a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> that tunnel vision meme. Like, I'm oh, like, yeah, oh no, yeah. I'm the problem. Uh, um, but, but it's also, he makes the choice. Like, he yes. knows how she is. Yes. And he still, like, he has the chance. Because doesn't she, she's like, I'm going to kiss you now. And he has mm-hmm. moments, but he yeah. follows yes. his other head and makes decisions <laughs> based on that. Yeah. yeah, he allows it. He likes, he's like testing the chain. He's like, I'm curious. And I think he's that big of a pushover it's not no. that he's weak it's just like why not because he, he's it's stated that he does nothing and he's fine with that but he's also like i would do something yeah and i like it because it sort of ends with them there's a trip they plan in the middle while they're together to antarctica and then they do it anyway at the end because mm-hmm. i think he does take something from her that the sort of adventure spirit sometimes is is good for him yeah overall i think this is a very good introduction yeah. into tom's writing and to the kind of characters and like the world that he builds because each story is independent of itself except for these characters show up again later and they kind of like we weave them throughout the book i don't know oh, if that's you've cool no I know. Yeah. yeah they're the only ones that show up again cool okay and it's fun that's great because i think they're really interesting yes i i was kind of disappointed when it was over to be honest yeah um well, it's a good start because I don't think it's quite what you think you're going to get into with him. So it's yeah. smart to start that way. So I think our second story is a it's little exact. more traditional. I agree. Uh, and of course, sentimental. But yeah, I, I dig it. First story, a thumb plus. up. Yeah. I thought it was solid. It had interesting characters. Mm-hmm. Sort of a gender swap too. Or yeah. even if it wasn't a gender swap, there's sort of a personality type they could stereotype on women in like movies especially. Uh-huh. Of sort of this controlling personality and these like men who sort of are falling under their footstep. But I think the conversation of why that is happening in the story plays out really interesting and mature. Yeah. And, and cool. The characters have a lot of complexity that, and he builds them out in a way that you just want to know more about them. Yeah. Even in such a short little snippet of them. I just am thoroughly impressed so far. And it's smart because this is in, told in first person through his perspective. Mm. So a lot of these ideas are from a male perspective. He's not trying to write how the woman's thinking, which is smart because I think you can sometimes read into the things he would say and just be like, oh, that's how the dude would think it. But it's weirdly kind of level-headed and immature, I think. Do you think differently from no. a female perspective? No. And later later on, we do get to see him write with a female oh, Okay, voice. cool. So I'm we'll sorry to be no, spoiling no, no, the book for excited. you. It's, I mean, it's an. I, this book hasn't seemed to get as much love as I think it deserves. To be quite honest, I know obviously I'm like so biased. <laughs> I have like a deep affinity and like love for Tom Hanks and his work, but I read a lot of books. I write on the side. I, I'm what that's like. Oh, I can't. Like, <laughs> Sugar and satire. <laughs> yeah, I have plug, a blog. Plug, plug, plug. I, I feel like I, I know literature. Yeah. Oh, fuck. 
me. This is like the most self-absorbed, like... Uh, continue. What else do you know? I know. Movies. <laughs> I'll push my glasses up on my nose. Um, but as if I've read quite a lot of books. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Oh my God. I'm going to keep this all. No. no. Everyone's like, you yeah, know, I wonder if she can't get anyone oh to gosh. date her. <laughs> she does. Um, I like it. So far, I'm impressed. Um, should we move on to the next move on. short next, story? Next short story. The next one is called Christmas Eve 1953. This story is told in the third person. Um, uh, one night in 1953, our main character, Virgil, is the ritual of like putting his family to bed on Christmas Eve. And he tell we kind of, we discover more about Virgil. Mm-hmm. Virgil is a veteran who was in, I think it's got to be World War II, right? Yeah, him talking about Normandy. Yeah. Every night on Christmas Eve, him and his old war buddies, that's pretty reductive, but he connects with his friends and the people that he spent time with during the war. This one was almost like astonishing to me how beautiful it was. The, yeah, this this is the, what I expected the book more to be because I think Tom Hanks clearly has a... A love and appreciation for sort of the history in involving World War II, from Saving Private Ryan to his producing of Band of Brothers mm-hmm. and the Pacific, and sort of sort of this sentimental, nostalgic, but like poetic look into like these people's lives, especially because this is 1953, so it's like just years after the war. Mm-hmm. Sort of about that shift in mindset of how do you kind of leave that, mm-hmm. but it has all these little details that I really like, like about. He the Virgil has children, two kids, mm-hmm. three. He, Virgil has children. He has three kids. One is older, I think ten or eleven. Yeah, Davey. And he knows he knows the quote unquote truth about Christmas, but he has taken it to make sure that his younger sister continues to live with the spirit of Christmas in her heart. Yeah. So it's sort of like a little subplot at the beginning that sort of puts you into the mindset of what kind of child Virgil and his wife have raised. Yeah. Um, coming from a war where you kind of learn what kind of person Virgil was to a degree, but you see where he's come. Which is really cool. I think it... And you're right when you say that this is kind of like the Tom Hanks that we all think... Yeah. Exit. Like, a loving father. Like, this to me paints the picture of, like, if I were to think about what Tom Hanks would be like as a dad, obviously I don't know... I don't know that yeah. about, what about him. But this is what I picture. Yeah, I think the way movies and media portray him, this is sort of what mm-hmm. you're thinking. He, it's just thoughtful and... Okay, where's the typewriter? He has the... If I remember correctly, he has the kids type their Christmas wishes yeah, to on the Sienna. typewriter. It's sweet. So in really specific details, I don't know a lot about typewriters, but there's details about how you use two sheets of paper so you don't damage something. And yeah, it's like really the... like clearly written by someone with a know-how of a typewriter. I, I, I really like those details. Yeah. It's a bridge. I was like, I've never thought about this, but the difference between he typed on the typewriter versus he places two sheets of paper, rolls it in. The two sheets of paper, you know, protect the machine from this and that. So after all the kids are put to bed and, and mom goes to bed, Virgil stays up and he makes his phone call. to a, it's, it's a friend he served with who was in his squad. And this one I'm not as, like, remembering as much. Tell me what you remember. Do you... So you sort of learn as the story moves through kind of the injuries Virgil has sustained through the war. And sort of just, not in necessarily dialogue, but in kind of things he has to do to live out his day. And then he makes a phone call to his... Bu- or his buddy calls him. Mm. Um, oh, yes. And his, his buddy's in 
in San Diego and California. He seems to be very much like a drifter, just kind of moving from place to place. Virgil has left the war and started a family and is trying to live this very American traditional life. And his buddy is sort of, I think, struggling with everything they went through and has this different life where he doesn't really feel like he fits in anywhere. He hasn't seen Virgil in person in a long time, always denies his invitations to come visit and sort of just moves across currently California in a very different headspace from what they both traumatically experienced. Mm -hmm. And I guess an important piece of context is that their big defining moment in the war happened on Christmas Eve. Yes. And that's why they continue to call each other Somebody loses a leg or something. Virgil does. Yeah. Yeah. We find that that's like a reveal, right? Yeah. I think he mentions he gets there in the battle that they're having on Christmas Eve. There, Virgil is hiding with another soldier, and uh, an enemy soldier falls into their hole and fires a few rounds, and Virgil gets hit, and later finds out kind of the severity of the wound. Mm. The main quote, it's, they're in battle or something. Somebody, somebody hits him and he says, my leg fell asleep. He tries to stand. Virgil fell back on top of a faceless, lifeless German. He tried to stand again, but his left leg bent the wrong way at the knee. And Virgil could not figure out what happened. And then it, it basically he says, that much Virgil remembered of Christmas Eve 1944. Somewhere between the foxhole and the aid station to the rear, he slipped into the slumber of unconsciousness. It's interesting because I think the the story is sort of at its heart about how these soldiers are moving on from their experiences, um, but also, like, what haunts them. Yeah. seems his buddy is haunted more directly and can't really live out anything, uh, what we would consider normal, Mm -hmm. the way he moves around the country. And Virgil seems to have everything together, but he also goes to bed at the end of the story um, with sort of these visions of someone he killed, and he says he sees that every night. In in a very literal sense, he will never be able to forget those things because... Because of the fact that he's missing his leg. But there's sort of the things that have become his family traditions that kind of let him live beyond that with the family he's built and the traditions that they've built that have changed. I mean, he's always going to remember that Christmas Eve, but Christmas Eve also has like a different purpose and a different meaning in his mind too. So he has like these positive things and these negative things and they get to coexist. I found myself, because I read this one before Christmas this year, and I thought about it a lot while I was back in my parents' house, back in my hometown for the holidays, especially thinking about, like, um, like it's, my brother is a lot younger than I am, so we had to do that, like, keep the magic alive for him. Yeah. Put out cookies for Santa. Um, I think it does a really... It's a beautiful intermingling of, like, childlike sweet innocence and then the horrors of adult life, like, of the realities of war... And the trauma and things that live on, it just, it was, this one, like, really, it just, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's also nice because it doesn't take um particular side in, like, to what, 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 there's no conversation of was what we were doing right or wrong. It's sort of just, this is what we did. This is the consequences of that that ultimately gave, you know, gave us our freedom. And this is where we are now. And we're both in different places, and that's fine. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was really good. It, this almost seems... I feel like he... I wonder if if Tom had any uh, relative that this is sort of uh, stems from like a biographical standpoint because it seems just like a, such, such a specific memory yeah. that maybe someone he knew. It makes sense that, uh, that someone like Tom who has been able to play so many characters and learn about so many different times 
probably in his own life, I know, I think we all know he's like a history buff and that's kind of a commonly known fact, I think, that he's able to tell a story so effectively. I don't know if this book was written by a ghostwriter or if he had assistance. I feel not. I think Tom Hanks is an actor. Actors, part of their expertise is sort of this mindset of a character and they work on that with the director. But also, like, they're whether method actor or not, they're going to get into this mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think... Tom Hanks has played such a variety of roles of characters that he sort of has this these experiences that are fictional in the realm of movies. But I think to get into those roles, you live through you live out certain things in your mind. I bet that is very helpful from a writing standpoint. It's just kind of like a warm hug. These these stories. Yeah, it's nice, and they're short and sweet. Uh, read one before bed, type of thing. Yeah, it's just I feel like a deep connection to a lot of this. Yeah stories so far. I mean, we only read two, but... I'm excited to see what's next for them. It's cool. They're very different, and there's like 15 more to go, so... Yeah. We'll come back and talk about the next two next time. So we're going to format these mini-sodes a little bit differently than the regular show. They'll obviously be a little shorter, but if we can, we're always going to try to incorporate an element of Talkin' Tom. So I got a message from a friend, Garrett, who I grew up with, who is... Uh, another podcaster and Tom Hanks aficionado, and he sent me this message about the book. When you guys start telling stories about this, I got one for you. Barnes & Noble was doing the signed autographed copies for Black Friday last year, that being of uncommon type. I had to work, but stopped by a store, and they only had one signed copy, which I got for myself. I also planned on getting one for Tiffany, who's his sister, for Christmas, but the signed copies were gone, and I had to go to work. When I told her that I got the last signed copy, she was bummed, but told me I could get her the book itself for Christmas. So while at work, I called the other Barnes & Noble, and they had one copy, but couldn't hold it because of the deal. I took my lunch break one hour into my shift, drove across town to get the last signed copy at the second store, and gave it to my surprise sister, who was still under the assumption I had kept the only signed copy for myself. And then he commented right after that with, that post was incredibly long. (laughs) So it sounds like this probably was a gift that a lot of people had for Christmas. Good gift. Uh, It was a gift to me. Josie got this for me for Christmas and wrote a cute note in it. <laughs> I feel like I could only... I was like, yeah, The most let's... appropriate gift. Like, Dan, I won't read this freaking book. I'll just buy it. I, like, talk about it every single time I see you and <laughs> still hadn't gotten it for yourself. Sorry. It was No. Oh, my God. Shut up. It's the perfect book. I would have gotten it for my father if I hadn't already bought, like, three copies of it and felt kind of weird about it. <laughs> They're like weird this book's climbing the charts <laughs> in one specific household yeah that's, that's sweet i wish we had signed copies of this book we'll get them in person oh that's God. the goal that's the goal the thought of that gives me like deep overwhelming anxiety we know we have talked so much about you sign my book please I will, like, bake him a pie. Yeah, there's going to come a point where we average about 45 minutes an episode, and when we add up that time, we're going to be like, hello, Mr. Hanks, we've talked about you for this many thousands of minutes. Please don't feel awkward. <laughs> um, what is Garrett's podcast? Garrett's podcast is a podcast um, about sequels, for movie sequels. It is unreleased yet, but I will plug it. As soon as it is released. I'm looking forward to it. And I can actually be a part of it. I get to, I talked about The Empire Strikes Back with him. Oh, shut up. You're on another podcast? So, in Oklahoma, yeah. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I need to find some friends who have podcasts. 
to guest on. Yeah, that's the next step. Every episode is like, my friend wrote in, my friend, and I'm yeah. just like, yeah, nobody. <laughs> I'll write you a ghost one. Josie is my favorite person on the podcast. I mean, here's the secret is I don't have any friends because I'm like Anna and I'm just crazy and wild and I chase everybody out of my life. But she has, she ultimately has very close friends, so. Oh, fuck. You're off to you're off to good things. <laughs> well, Daniel, I'm looking forward to reading more of Uncommon Type. I've enjoyed the first two so far. I'm excited for the fifteen ahead. Fifteen more. So in two weeks, in two weeks we'll do the next two stories, which are a junket in the city of light, and our town today with Hank Fissett. Mm. Oh, that's the newspaper. Oh, okay. I'm uh, toilet. An elephant in the press room. Yeah. Appropriate for our post, post, post world. Post, post, post. So help us out. Uh, if you want to talk Tom to us, maybe help us shape these minisodes, these book clubs. What do you want to hear from us? Just talk Tom to us constantly. <laughs> so um, if you're interested in continuing the conversation, you can find us on our website, talkintom.com. And all over the social medias at Podhanks Tomcast. Um, We're everywhere. It's been another episode of Talking Tom. I'm Josie. I'm Daniel. Hanks. Hanks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Come on. You know it's coming. I know, and I always forget. <laughs> Hanks, Hanks for, for listening. listening.